which we offer in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I invite you to give your attention to God's word, which we're about to read now. You've got a special help in, uh, in the bulletin today. I don't intend to give you a detailed geography lesson. Um, we would get lost somewhere between uh, here and probably before we even left the state of Florida. So uh, there is a map in your worship folder there that you can look at. Hopefully will serve as a visual aid or you can take it home and color it after church. I really don't care. <clears throat> but... Uh, This is a rough estimate of uh, how the land of promise was divided among the tribes, just to give you an idea so that as I'm talking about it up here, you can uh, you'll have a visual there in front of you. So we'll be considering the content of Joshua chapters 13 through 19. Now, next week, we're going to pick up in chapter 14 and talk about Caleb. So we're going to hold him in reserve. But in the meantime, we'll be considering Matters found in those chapters. In the meantime, I'm going to read chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, and then turn over to chapter 19 and read verses 49 to 51. So hear the word of the Lord. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years. And there... Remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Gesherites from Shihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It is counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of Avim in the south and all the land of the Canaanites. And Merah, that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, in the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon, toward the sunrise, from Baal Gad, below Mount Hermon, to Lebo Haman, all the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon to Misrafat Maim, even all the Sidonians. I myself will drive them out. From before the people of Israel, only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now, therefore, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. Then we'll turn over to chapter 19 and read verses 49 to 51. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, timnath Sirah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he rebuilt the city and settled in it. These are the inheritances that Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. So I'll ask the Lord to bless this reading of his word and give him praise for it. It's always interesting as we come toward the end of something, we wonder... 
What does it really mean for us to be at the end of something? I remember reading last year when Harry Reader posted something that his wife Cindy had run across, a grammar lesson. The question in this particular lesson is this. Is it complete, finished, or completely finished? No English dictionary has been able to adequately explain the difference between these two words, complete and finished. In a linguistic competition held in London and attended by supposedly the best in the world, Samdar Balgobin, a Guyanese man, was the clear winner with a standing ovation which lasted for five minutes. The final question was, how do you explain the difference between complete and finished in a way that is easy to understand? Some people say there is no difference between complete and finished. Here is his astute answer. When you marry the right woman, you are complete. When you marry the wrong woman, you are finished. And when the right one catches you with the wrong one, you are completely finished. He won a trip around the world in a 25-year-old case of scotch. So are we finished or completely finished? Well, it turns out neither. As uh, we think of Winston Churchill, it's uh, when he reminded the people in England back at the beginning of the Second World War that they weren't at the beginning of the end, but they were, Lord willing, at the end of the beginning. We are approaching the end. And we come to this matter of the distribution of the land. The people of God were inheriting the land, not because they had earned it, but because God had graciously granted it to them. And so this subdivision of the promised land, we are reminded, is in fulfillment of God's promises to his people. It is entirely a matter of God's gracious goodness that this land is being distributed to them. They were not a people that were greater in number than those around them. They were not a people at all. They were enslaved in Egypt. They had no territory that they could call their own. Yes, they were living in the land of Goshen, but it wasn't their land. It was somebody else's. No, the land passed to them because of a promise. Back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 to 7, it says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak at Moreh. At that time... The Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he, that is Abram, built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. There is the essence of it all. The Lord simply promised to give it to Abram and to his descendants. Abram owned no property there other than a burial spot that he later came to own. But his descendants were to possess the land. And so all of these many years later, God is fulfilling what he said he would do. That is iterated in Joshua chapter 1 verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. God blesses in that way. He honors his covenant promises. He keeps them. In spite of our faithlessness, God is faithful at all times. And he doesn't change. We experience change all the time. The weather changes. It's supposed to get up in the 80s this week. 
think about that, especially those of you near that door over there. Just think about 80 degrees. Maybe that will warm you up. We think about how everything changes, but God doesn't change. He keeps his promises. And this section of scripture is a reminder to us of that faithfulness of God. And so the Lord granted to the people that they would inherit the land. And it's subdivided in two different divisions. Now, we see this, uh, first of all, in chapter 13, as we have read, how that um, God, first of all, divides the land and gives it to Reuben, Gab, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and to Judah. It was done this way deliberately, as James Montgomery Boyce says. The first stage and settlement, and then the second, which follows, this first one is described in chapters 13 through 17. It concerns the two and a half tribes settled east of the Jordan. So remember, the Israelites crossed over the Jordan so that they mostly inhabited the west side of the river. But these tribes were given land on the east side. And this was as was uh, Moses instructed. And uh, it was uh, done with an understanding that those tribes, even though their land was on the other side of the Jordan from the rest of the tribes, that they would go with the other tribes and fight those who were on the other side of the Jordan. So they were given the land with the understanding that they would honor their responsibility to their fellow tribes, to their brothers. And so we see how the land was divided in that way to those small segments. It seems to be to have been done with uh, out of military considerations, not only for them, but also the tribe of Judah, which also was in this first distribution, that they were in these strategic locations in particular that they could provide defense for the rest of the tribes. So there was a purpose in it. As we think of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in chapter 13, 8 to 33, we see that... Uh, this was, in fact, determined by Moses. These people had requested these particular parcels of land, and so Moses had granted it upon the condition that I mentioned, that they would fight with the others as they moved across the Jordan. And they did that. And it's included here, even though the distribution happened earlier, to remind us that they were together with the other tribes, beneficiaries of God's promise to receive land. Now, all of chapter 15, verses 1 through 63, is dedicated to land that was distributed to Judah. Now, it's interesting how that this uh, distribution of the southern portions of that country occupy this entire chapter because it's an important distribution. The patriarch of the tribe, Judah, was the fourth of Jacob's twelve sons, born after Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Normally, he would not have been given this prominence, but for the sins of his older brothers that disqualified them from the special blessings. Reuben had dishonored his father, Jacob, by sleeping with his father's concubine. Simeon and Levi had led a massacre against the Shechemites, which Jacob said had made his name, quote, a stench in the land. So normally they would have received a greater portion, but because of the sins of their 
fathers, they did not. And so Judah received that favored position. Judah, which would be the tribe from which kings would come, and ultimately the tribe from which our Lord Jesus Christ would descend. However, Judah was not the only one that was favored, because God in his good providence chose also to honor Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, in a double manner. Both of his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were given an equal share with their uncles. So instead of Joseph receiving one share along with his brothers, he actually received two in that his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were blessed by God to receive an inheritance. And so that's why they're referred to as the half-tribes. Judah, in this position of prominence, is of importance. Not only do kings come from there, as we think of David, for example, who headed the line, and then, of course, Solomon after him, and it was under Solomon that the nation of Israel would achieve its highest pinnacle of prominence. But as noted, Jesus would come forth from that very line. It's also significant to note that in later years, when God's people would stray from him and his and the chastening hand of the Lord came upon them, the northern tribes were dispersed, ten of them. Judah and the small tribe of Benjamin would remain longer so that the worship of the one true God was maintained through them at least for some time after the conquering of the others. So, as we think about that distribution, we see God's faithfulness. There's much more that we could say, and I don't have time to go into that. I simply want to give you the highlights. That was the first division that occurred under Moses, which is reiterated here. The second one occurs at a different time in a different location. The division by lot at Shiloh, when Joshua is old, and if it's not enough for him to be old, God reminded him that he was old, as we all chuckled at that. Israel's camp was moved to Gilgal at Shiloh in the country between Ai and Gerizim. It's hill country, sort of like the mountains. And here the land is divvied up further. Benjamin receives its share. This relatively small tribe received a portion of territory lying between Ephraim and Judah. And as I said, Benjamin would remain alongside Judah when the division later occurred. Simeon. Simeon and Levi were the patriarchs who had led the slaughter against the Shechemites. And because of that failure and Jacob's prophecy regarding it in Genesis chapter 49, they are judged by being kept from possession of territory in the conquered land. And yet God is gracious to them in that Simeon is allowed to possess land in the midst of others within the land of Judah. Now, Levi receives no tribal allotment, as we'll see later, because God has a special provision for them. So even though there was this great sin committed against the Lord by these fathers of tribes, yet God is gracious to the descendants in giving them beyond what they could have expected. Zebulun. Four of the smaller Jewish tribes were settled in the north, even above the territory that was assigned to Ephraim. 
and the two halves of the tribe of Manasseh. Issachar, Zebulun's brother, having been born of Jacob's first wife, Leah. Um, we see that uh, Issachar also receives territory, which lies next to Zebulun. Issachar touched Zebulun on the eastern side, was also north of Manasseh. There's also Asher. Land was given to Asher. That extended up the Mediterranean coast from Mount Carmel to Zidon, to Sidon. It was extremely fertile country, but it was possessed by people who were hostile to the Israelites, so they were never able fully to take advantage of it as they came under the influence of those Gentile cities. Nephtali. The territory of Nephtali ran parallel to that of Asher, but it was inland a ways and included some important New Testament sites. For example, Capernaum, Cana, and Bethsaida. Although these did not exist at the time that it was received by them. Isaiah introduced his prophecy of the Messiah by blessing, a blessing being pronounced on Nephtali and Zebulun, which are to be called Galilee of the Gentiles. He wrote, in the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, but in the future... He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So those who receive those lands will be blessed in the Lord as the Messiah would come forth from those regions. And then there's Dan. My brother's name is Dan, so I want to give this one a mention. Got a couple of you named that too. The last of the tribes to receive land. Dan's territory was farther south in the area between the sea and Jerusalem. This was Philistine territory. And including, among other settlements, the great cities of Ajalon, Ekron, and Gath. And it's significant that Joshua 19 records that the people of Dan had trouble taking possession of this territory. The Philistines plagued the Israelites for years after this. And, uh, in fact, we know... That Jerusalem was not even taken until the days of David. And so we mention these because they're of importance in the scripture. These 12 tribes, as we number them generally, their inheritances remind us of God's faithfulness. Even as we think of Levi, which received its unique inheritance in chapter 13, verses 3 through 4. And you can get a sense of it there as they would serve the Lord in priestly fashion. They were provided for. Now Joshua, being old and advanced in years, as uh, had that repeated to him, divided up the land in the fashion, as we are told. And um, over in verse 14, to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to him. So, the Levi did not receive real estate. Nevertheless, there was an inheritance distributed. And then, we read how that the people gave Joshua his own special inheritance. Joshua, who had led the people faithfully, who was God's commander, in all the conquest of the promised land, received his own special inheritance among his people, the Ephraimites. 
his own city. And that reminds us, as the quote from Dr. Boyce is included there in your bulletin, that Joshua, who is a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus, having received a special inheritance, reminds us that the Lord Jesus Christ has an inheritance. The kingdoms of this world are our inheritance, for they are Christ's, and Christ is ours. But we are Christ's inheritance. He spoke of us to the Father as those whom you gave me. And so we must be fully possessed by him if we are to enter into all that Christ has for us. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself as an inheritance before, but you are. Inasmuch as the Lord Jesus has purchased you by his own blood. It was for the joy that was set before him. It was for this glorious inheritance that he saw through his atoning death and sacrifice on the cross that he was faithful unto the Father in giving himself for us. Paul says in Colossians 3.29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You don't have to wait for a check to show up in the mail or for somebody to Venmo it to you. You have only to consider the glorious riches that we have in Christ because we have been made heirs according to the promise. He also says in Romans chapter 8, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If you want to think of something that is astounding today. Think of how you are counted as a co-heir of Christ who possesses all the kingdoms of this world. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul mentions this word inheritance repeatedly. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So do you see that? We are heirs. We we have a kingdom that is ours because we are co-heirs with Christ. We simply haven't realized it yet. We got the check. We're just waiting to cash it. Because it has been written against the account of the Lord Jesus who is fully able to pay. And indeed he has. It goes on in verse 18 of Ephesians 1. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You may feel like that you are less than connected in this world. You may wish that you had some sort of connection that would establish you in some prominent way, one way or another. Well, you've got that connection in Christ. You have an inheritance that far exceeds anything Bill Gates could ever bequeath to you. I'll tell you that right now. No rising or falling of the stock market will affect its value. You have an inheritance that is secure because Jesus Christ has purchased it for you. It is in the bank. 
a secure one. And uh, it's not insured by the FDIC either. That's only good to a certain amount. Ours is secure forever. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. You may wonder, what are my qualifications? You don't have to worry about that. God has done the qualifying for you. He's met the requirements. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The writer of Hebrews speaks of it simply as the promised eternal inheritance. You ever read these stories about people who win the lottery and it practically ruins their lives? You know, how is it in this country that we denigrate people who who manage to earn wealth by way of hard work but will celebrate people who win the lottery? I do not understand that. Well, we read about people who come into a a great amount of wealth and, and how it absolutely ruins their lives. How many of those people have seen those riches just dwindle away as they spend on one thing and then another? I probably do the same thing. It's what my grandfather used to say. Um, we were... Uh, he was commenting on an article he'd read in the paper about somebody who'd come into a lot of money. And he said, I wonder what we'd do with all that money. And my mind was racing. You know, I was, I was thinking, well, I'd probably just farm till the money ran out. I don't know. He said, ah, if we had it, we'd just spend it. It would be diminished one way or another. But what we have in Christ is an eternal inheritance. It is an inexhaustible supply of riches that no one can ever take from us. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That gives me hope and confidence. That as this world and its tumult is passing away, I have something that the U.S. government cannot touch. I have something that Vladimir Putin cannot impact. I have something that no power on earth can ever remove from me because it has been purchased by Christ. It has been bequeathed to me by my father and nothing will ever diminish its value. And you know what? He offers every bit of it to us as a gift. That's right. Our inheritance is an absolute gift to us because the price has been paid by another. And therein lies its value. Our inheritance comes to us by way of the life and the atoning death of Jesus Christ. And there is absolutely no way that we can attach any monetary value to that. It exceeds anything that we can count. And we'll have all eternity to enjoy it. So Christian, lift up your hearts. Lift up your heads. Give thanks and rejoice. You're a child of God. You're a co-heir with Christ. You have an inheritance that's beyond this world. And don't ever let anyone convince you otherwise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, grant to us, O Lord, that we may learn from those who have gone before us 
who faithfully received from your own hand, according to your promise, that which you had committed to give. That we, living now, may be confident in knowing that our inheritance is secure. And while we already possess it, Lord, give us eyes to see the day when we shall realize it. When all that Christ has accomplished for us will be revealed in its fullness. O oh Lord, grant that we may live like people who have that here and now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we conclude, let's stand if you're able and sing together. Be thou my vision. astounding thing of all is this. Our true inheritance is God himself. Go with his blessing.
May grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together, Amen.